it's not a creative itch for me that to um to find the deepest cut and like be the coolest guy yeah. because I found the deepest cut. I mean, we we do look for new tracks and we do we do mix new things in, but I love it when I can play "I Want You Back" and a whole room explodes oh every single time. And I've never played that. You've never heard that piano slide in on a Monday night without hearing half the crowd go, "Oh shit!" Like, yeah. and that's what I love about it. I just like to watch people have fun. Hello, everyone. This is Nashville Demystified, and I'm your host, Alex Steed. Nashville Demystified is a show in which I get to know this city better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here. This show is made possible by Knack Factory, a video and content production house with offices here in the city. It is distributed by We Own This Town, a collection of podcasts made by Nashvillians. All the shows are great. Go and listen to them right now. There are music shows. There are interview shows. There are topical shows. There are primers on things you don't know much about but would like to know more. Go listen. It's all very good. Today, I'm just going to cut right to it. I talk with Jacob Jones, who is a realtor. He's also a communication strategist and a musician. And he is the DJ or one of the DJs behind Motown Monday. Motown Monday is a dance night at the five spot, which takes place on Monday nights, obviously. Um, It's garnered uh, literally international acclaim for just being a really fucking fun night. It's been going on for 11 years. (laughs) And we talk about that. We talk about what that means, how it came about, why it's significant, and what it's led to for Jacob to throw a party that is maybe even more well-known than he is. I actually make an exception uh, for my no more straight white guy rule <laughs> on this show, which I which I implemented um, subconsciously, and it's it's not hard in in fast. I, maybe there'll be there'll be others who are appealing enough. But anytime a PR person gets in touch with me and they're like, "We want to talk with you about putting this person on their show," I I let them know that there's a pretty unofficial. Um, no uh, more straight white guys rule, <laughs> but Jacob is intriguing to me for a number of different reasons. Uh, we'll talk about that here. He's actually the reason that I ended up in Nashville in in a way, or one of the reasons, um, and it's a roundabout way. Uh, last year, I was trying to figure out where in the United States I was hoping to land upon leaving Maine. Um, I drove around the country literally a couple times to figure out where was interesting to me. And my friend Bernadette, who lives in Maine, uh, but has has a substantial connection to Nashville, reached out to connect me to Jacob. And through a strange series of circumstances, I did not end up meeting with Jacob. Uh, I met with somebody else, with his business partner, or excuse me, one, one of one of the people's that one of the people that he works with. And just, you know, through a comedy of errors, I, I, I fell in love with Nashville. Um, I'll tell that bigger story at another time. But I decided that this was the place for me. And I eventually met Jacob, who was the person I was supposed to meet originally, who ended up catalyzing this whole funny trip that resulted in me getting here and then starting this podcast. And he actually produces a podcast for the company uh, he works for, or for one of the companies he works for, Stoked. And that's been an inspiration and an influence for this podcast. Just seeing Jacob make that show made me want to make 
this show or made me understand how to make a show, I should say. I talked with Jacob about a whole lot of things about how Motown Monday became Motown Monday. It wasn't originally called that, it turns out, and that was fascinating to to find. And we talk about what he's learned along the way. Uh, we also talk about something he mentioned so casually once in passing a few months ago that when he was a teenager, he was present at a school shooting. And it's, you know, it, that's not funny and I don't mean to make light, but it's, it's just this thing. It's like to know Jacob is to know he's the sort of person who would just very casually and telling another story mention without any fanfare <laughs> that he was at a school that was shot up. And, and, and we talk about that and what that means. And we talk about that in the context of this present, uh, ongoing moment in the United States. And we talk about how it shifted his perspective. Um, we're both people who have interesting proximity to mortality for a handful of different reasons. And we discuss that here. But first, it feels a little tacky to say this right after having talked about Jacob having been involved or, you know, present at a school shooting. Uh, he wasn't in, involved. He was he was there when it happened in a, in a scary way. But again, this feels tacky. However... We need you to follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you can. Rate, you know, all of that kind of engagement helps in some weird way. It convinces people that we're real, um, and it convinces other people to uh, give us money to do this thing. And when I say us, I mean me, because <laughs> I'm not the person. It really does help. It really does help, and it, it, it helps us keep this thing interesting. Um, all right, all right, all right. That's enough about me. On to Jacob. Do you think what you did 11 years ago would be possible in Nashville today? No. No. Yeah, why not? Um, and not because of me or Reno or our, you know, or anything like it's that. Because of you. <laughs> it's a, not be, no, not because of our, um, you know, unique canny promotional sure. skills or anything like that. No, I. 2008 East Nashville was just a different place. Yeah. I mean, it was just starting. You know, well, I mean, it, it already done a lot. I moved here in 2007, so anyone who's you know who's been here the whole time could probably point out that I'm wrong about it just starting to boom. But there was a, there was a sense of like people moving there rent was still cheap uh there were only like three bars one coffee shop there just there was it was a very vibey cool neighborhood to be in but there wasn't a ton going on mm. um i mean in fact the the five spot asked uh, asked us to do monday nights because bands couldn't draw a crowd on monday nights so um so that was where it came from was hey we're gonna stop having bands and we're just gonna do a two-for-one night and ask the neighborhood people to come in and hang out and it was on the on the first two for one night that that um I started screwing around with an iPod and playing songs, and then the next I was like, let me come back next week and bring my turntables. That's kind of how it happened. Um, so and I don't th I don't know I don't think so because it was just it was a void like all the service industry folks, which was kind of the crew I ran with, um, they don't have anything to do on Monday, which is their Saturday. You know, right. it's the night they go out. So that um, it was the only thing happening, and now Nashville's got so much going on, and there's so many. Um, you know, I'm I'm in dad life, so I'm way removed. I'm an old man, mm -hmm. but I, even what I know about, there's a lot going on. So I'm sure if you're um, like in the scene and you're in your mid twenties, like I was then, there's just a lot more options, a lot more, um, a lot more to compete with, probably. Right. Yeah. So so using using advanced math, I'm assuming you were doing this at 24. 
25 yeah what was what was that like because 25 is like a is like a good age (laughs) 25 is a good age to be doing something and getting noticed for it (laughs) yeah no you're yeah you're right 25 is when i really like grew up i think Mm. 20 i kind of started taking myself seriously Uh, and like you know i mean I had, you know, I grew up in Atlanta and I played music, but I'd also like done drugs and drank a lot and just had fun, which I think is totally fine at 19, 20, 21, whatever. And then I moved to New York for three years, basically did the same thing. Didn't, uh, had a blast, had an amazing experience, certainly um, added to my life, but I didn't do anything like, I didn't live in New York because I was pursuing acting or, you know, anything that you needed to be in New York for. Mm. I was just in New York having fun. So when I moved here, um, I I really was like, I really wanted to kind of like, you know, grow up a little bit. And so I, st- I started, because I started a band and we only lasted a year because we were kind of a party band. And I got, I was like this buzzkill guy wanted to get better and not just drink oh yeah 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 yeah. so we i was always envious of that (laughs) (laughs) um and so we we didn't last long and then i started doing my own music i think because i could control it and i was practicing a lot and i was it was all around 25 years old yeah i um, moved here when i was 24 Mm -hmm. yeah moved here when i was 24 um and yeah so started started motown monday when i was 25 met molly my wife when I, right after i turned 25 like it's funny you asked that way i never really thought about it <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a it's like a yeah i feel like it's the time you know how like there's the time when there's like several times in your life there's like when you're when you're maybe like seven or eight where you sort of like come online in a way you know uh-huh. like, and then like and you're maybe in your mid-teens you do it again and maybe maybe it's in the mids of the decades i don't know maybe but then there's a time when there's sort of some like a different self-actualization where you see like where you're going a little bit more yeah and uh 25 would be i feel like a good time to start doing something that people are paying some special attention to it's uh, come online that's a great way to put it it's funny you're i'm, I'm watching my three-year-old do this like yeah. like i mean literally in the last week yeah. So, you know, I've, I have two sons and one of them's three and he's been kind of like a little bit of a late bloomer in his like communication and everything. And in the last week, it's like he just all of a sudden stopped making cat noises at me and yeah. started speaking in like fluent paragraphs. Right. So, right. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. He's like, I've been in this been sitting in there and now I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, actually it's, it's uh, last night, uh, my wife turned to him and was like, Sam, it's been really great getting to know you this week because, oh, like, he's finally, you know. Yeah. So yeah, maybe that, maybe there are points in life, and um, twenty five was definitely one for me. Um, you know, it was like cool to be in East Nashville then, um, because for me it was a new place. Mm-hmm. So not only was all the were all these things happening here, um, and you could kind of feel the energy, but I was it was new to me, and so Tennessee was new. It all felt kind of new. I didn't know a ton of people. Um, you know, everything was a nice clean break from my old life. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, I worked in the service industry, so I bartended at Three Crow and I was in bands. So like I was always out at night and um, I built my kind of, you know, relationships and friendships that way. And then having the party, though, was, yeah, it was it was great to to build something kind of accidentally at first and then noticed the accident. Like, oh, man, people right. really like this um, and then and then feed it and grow it and promote it and make it better and work with a, you know, collaborate with one of my best friends on it. And then still to be doing that, yeah. um, 11 years later, I mean, this, this Monday we're bringing on, um, 
a sponsor, which is which is actually special because it's a really a friend of mine who's, who started a company called Nelson's Greenbrier. Mm. Um, they make Belvine bourbon. Mm. But his family used to make whiskey here a hundred years ago, and after the depression stopped, and now they've he's been working for like ten years to get his great 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 grandfather's recipe back on the market, and it just hit the market yesterday. Right. Um, and I bring it up because that we did, we're doing like a six month thing with them at the party, yeah. And it's um, so we're like reinvigorated and doing all this promotions and trying to come up with cool ideas, and like so here we are eleven years later, we're still trying to do something a little different. Yeah. And so, so Motown Monday. Okay, let's. I, you told the story, but before again, I, I'll stop referring to audio that doesn't <laughs> exist. But, but um, y- y- I can't help but notice you're a white dude. Uh, oh yeah, well, how, it's obvious. Yeah, yeah. It's a handsome white guy. Um, how did how how did your interest and sort of expertise and focus in Motown become so honed? That you were, you found yourself uh, uh, running a night. It's a very valid question. Um, <laughs> um, hmm, okay, I, I think there's a few answers. So, one is um, coming up in Atlanta. There was a club called MJQ, mm. and, is, and so, and it was kind of like the club for people who don't go to clubs. It's like you go there and drink PBR and what, and like stay up till four in the morning. And it was they had a Brit pop night. And I used to go every Wednesday when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, and like, you know, hang out, meet girls, whatever. It was like the night you went out, you know, and it was all themed around this thing. And so that was my first exposure, like, oh, this is all this one genre and everyone loves the DJ and they're like all having an amazing time and they're all meeting people. And it was like the center of a community. Like Mm. everyone went to this night. It probably still goes on. Um, And then while I was in New York, um, I remember this so vividly. I was at some bar in the Lower East Side, and this guy I kind of knew through the bar I worked in was DJing, and and he was doing kind of a theme night, but it was like real sock hoppy. Like he had on a letter jacket and like his hair <laughs> greased back, and and he this was, was in New York. This was in New York, yeah. And and he was playing, um, he was playing a Gene Vincent song, the song "Be Babalula," and I remember being, going over and like, "What is this?" Like, you know, this like fifties. You know, rockabilly crooner sound. I never heard it, um, and that, and I kind of went home and like I'd already, I already like had a general knowledge of that kind of music, but that actually that night kind of set me off and like digging into it a little more. And so, um, when I I used to DJ in New York, just every once in a while, at different places, and so I would start playing that music, um, mm-hmm. mixed in with you know whatever else with like the New York Dolls and Nick Cave and whatever I felt like. I never did like a really concentrated thing. I just was all over the place, and so. When um, when the five spot asked, so we had our first Monday at the five spot, which was which was not a Motown Monday. It was just a bunch of neighborhood people hanging out. And did I tell you the Huey Lewis in the news story? Yeah, please uh, tell yeah, me. Yeah, please I'll tell, tell you again. Yeah. So yeah. basically, we're all sitting at the bar. It's like one in the morning, and there's a computer at the bar playing music um, off iTunes. I assume this was like 2008. So. Um, I want a new drug comes on and we're all like just lit enough. We're like, yes. Like we're all like, <laughs> dancing around. And so there, someone was like, let's hear the whole record. Like someone play sports and sports wasn't on the computer. So I was like, hold on. And I went out to my car and grabbed my brick iPod because mm. phones did not do this <laughs> at the time. And in, um, in a very like small twist of fate, Todd, the owner, instead of taking my iPod and playing sports, just handed me the auxiliary cable right. while I was sitting at the bar and was like, Hey man, do whatever. So I played sports, and then I started just playing all sorts of stuff, and we just sat there, and I'm sitting at the bar with my iPod in my hand, mm-hmm. drinking, having fun, 
And so at the end of the night, I was like, let me come back next week and I'm going to bring some like proper turntables and you throw me some beers or something. And he's like, yeah, totally. So in between the, that seven days, I was just like, I'm going to dig deeper into this 50s, 60s stuff. And Reno, who does it with me, he actually did not live here yet, but he was coming a month later. Right. And so I did a few Mondays with some other guys. Um, and then when Reno showed up, he lived at my house for four months while he was, he lived in my living room while he was getting his act together here. And um, he showed up with like a rental minivan and all his possessions in the back and lived in my living room. Um, and in that, so that was a really great collaborative time for us. So I told him, like, hey, I started this thing and people actually dance at it. Like, you know, they're only like, 30 people there maybe but they were dancing and it's like i'm playing all this chuck berry and little richard and and i knew that he liked that stuff so we had it in common so so the long-winded answer is i are i had like a general like interest in early rock and roll but i didn't know a ton about motown and i didn't know a ton about um the you know it, i had never dug deep into the crates of of motown or tomla or, or chess or stacks i just knew the hits mm-hmm. but djing that stuff made me find out um, so I kind of immersed myself in that world um, as a result of hosting the party. Right on. And so it happened. And so, yeah, I mean, and now, I mean, we've you know been doing a radio show for years and like, I've had to like do research and it's been, that's, that's one of the best parts about it. Right. You've become a doctor. <laughs> yeah. I'm working on, <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm, I'm working on my, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a student teacher. <laughs> you really should, you should like check to see if a university will back your 11 years of experience in this and that, and that, you know, maybe you could just write a dissertation or right? something. <laughs> <laughs> um, become a PhD. <laughs> it's funny is cause I, like growing up, I grew up in the Midwest and like my, my dad, you remember Columbia house? Yeah. My course. dad was a member of, of course, of course, right? <laughs> Columbia house, for those who don't know, was a subscription service where you would fill out what CDs you wanted every month and they would send them to you so my dad had that and um we used to have like stacks of cds towers in the house and he had tapes he didn't have a ton of lps but he had tons of cds and so growing up my dad was super my uh my parents and their friends were super into like the stones bruce springsteen tom petty john mellencamp because i'm from indiana yeah like very midwest southern rock or not southern like classic midwest rock um and the, like the cars and anyway, so I had a huge foundation in that. And so when I got into punk in high school, punk and hardcore music, none of my friends had that. Like I had friends who just never listened to Tom Petty. I was like, right. what? what's wrong with you? Like, you don't, you don't know, um, you know, you never listened to like Tattoo You, the Rolling Stones. It was like my, I was played at my house every Friday night. Yeah. But I, I, but what I didn't get was any of the stuff that I do at the party. Like I didn't hear any of that stuff growing up. Like, um, maybe like Elvis every once in a while or, uh, I don't think any of it. And so it, uh, it led to the, having that like s- background in some classic rock that a lot of my friends didn't have, I think planted a seed in me to like, want to really dig, um, like follow musical history backwards. Right. So when I moved here, um, I was doing that for my own, not, you know, before this party had nothing to do with it for my own like musical understanding because i play music that's centered in the blues so you know you start following that stuff back through you know you're in muddy waters and then you're robert johnson and then you're learning about the everything from the 30s and 40s um and so i just have a tendency to do that so when i started when i started um djing monday nights i mean we started with a lot more rockabilly and um you know, garage rock and 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 the stacks soul. A lot of right. it wasn't nearly as Motown. As a matter of fact, it was it wasn't called Motown Monday for years. What and was it called? It was called Keep On Moving. Oh, cool. And that's the, the name of the party was Keep On Moving. And um, we and that's like well, I mean we that's what it was for 
four or five years. I mean, that's yeah. what it was branded. That's what all the graphics are. That's what everyone. The problem was everyone started calling it Motown Monday. Oh, cool. And I didn't, yeah. And I didn't, because of the alliteration, it's so easy, right? And there, fuckers, man. Yeah. And there are other Motown Mondays in other cities, and I was like, I don't want to do that. And then, because then people think like you're just playing Motown music. And, but man, I, it got so overwhelming that I remember I was speaking at, um, I think it was Vanderbilt. It was like an entrepreneur class. Yeah. I was with my buddy Marcus Whitney. And he was speaking, actually, and, and I was uh, filming him. And so at some point, and it's, there's like 150 people in this room, kids. And at some point, he's trying to introduce me. And he's like, oh, this is my man, uh, Jacob, over here. Y'all all know him from um, Keep On Moving. Mm -hmm. Silence. And he's like, yeah, you know, like the five spot. Silence. <laughs> Motown Mondays. Oh, 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 the whole room erupts. <laughs> as soon as that was over, I called Reno. I was like, we got to change the name. Yeah. <laughs> And we did. Right on. Yeah, yeah so you got to listen, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and then now, of course, I do get the thing where people come up, they're like, where's the Mo This is a Motown. I'm like, yeah, we, we do a lot more than that, but it's just centered around that. Yeah. You know, it, you should get a sign made that is like an FAQ that shuts people down <laughs> from the get-go. Because I can imagine if you're running a thing that is called for whatever reason. Right, it puts it in a box. You're dealing with some people Sometimes. Who, who want to let you know that they know more <laughs> yeah. than you. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> or, or, or like, um, you know, there's there's the, you know, yes, um, this is called Motown Mondays and this this is not Motown you're playing. I get that. Or, um, you know, or I'll play a newer track that sounds old, like, you know, like J.D. Yeah. McPherson or something. And people sure. are like, this isn't from the 60s. Right. I mean, it's not the... Yeah, exactly. It's not the point. Like, yeah, like, this isn't like a chant that's gonna like bring back something from the dead if we it, do it wrong. Like, it's, fun, <laughs> it's funny. It's like I've had the same like yeah, exactly. I've had the same like disarming approach. I think to that for for years is is if someone wants to come up and like music school me or the opposite. Someone wants to come up and like will you please play Beyonce or yeah. something? I'm like well, same thing. I always just say like just why don't you just like relax, have fun. I promise like. You're gonna have a good time. Just let it happen. That's a great. That's and, great. And then most people are cool with that, and they just like people have this weird impulse to to be the like the you know they to interject themselves in the like. Yeah. And I get it. I do too. I'm I'm a DJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, usually I just like hey, just just cool. It'll be fine. You can hear Beyonce in your car on the way home. Like, that's extra. That's extraordinary. Uh, that's an approach I want to use more in my life, and it. I don't know how telling it is about you that you use it or how telling it is about me, but that never dawned on me that that would be an approach that you could use, but that's fantastic. Or, I'm sure it's very useful. Yeah, or someone will come up and be like, oh, man, will you play, you know, um, you know, some 80s jam or something? And I'll, I'll be like, oh, I love that track. Yeah, have you heard the other track on that record? Like, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, I can't play it because it's just, you know, it's not really the thing tonight, but right. but it's a great song. Right. And then that always is like, oh, oh okay. Right. And like um, yeah, because if you're saying no in a way, you're telling them that they're terrible in the in the Brit. Right, right, really. right. So yeah. if you were just a dick about it all the time, then maybe I would. It would, you know, yeah. I mean, our job on that night is to have, you know, to to exude an energy of like fun and like an escape. Right. Like, like and so I don't really want to have a bad time. I want to keep it on the rails of what the party is supposed to be, and I and and so that there's a there's some consistency because there's a lot of people who. Man, we have regulars, but we get people every week who've never been there. And I mean, right. people, I mean, like, probably 50 to 100 people in that room have never been there. Right. And they want to hear this Shout. Is your opportunity. And they yeah. want to hear Ain't Too Proud to Beg. And they want to, and so, like, I've had other musician and DJ friends be like, how do you do that every week? You, you, you know, it's kind of like Groundhog Day. I'm like, yeah, yeah it kind of is. But it doesn't, it's not a creative itch for me that to, um, 
to find the deepest cut and like be the coolest guy because yeah. I found the deepest cut. I mean, we we do look for new tracks and we do we do mix new things in, but I love it when I can play "I Want You Back" and a whole room explodes oh every single time. Seriously. And I've never played that. You've never heard that piano slide in on a Monday night without hearing half the crowd go, "Oh shit!" Like, yeah. and that's what I love about it. I just like to watch people have fun. It's a holy song. Yeah, like with, it's a secular holy. It, song. It's the it's the <laughs> the moment of like full let loose, totally. like, and everyone knows it. It's a cue. Oh my god, yeah. that's so good. Do you think about like what you is this a thing that you want to like keep doing, or or is there a reason why you're compelled to keep returning to it? Man, uh, oh, I mean, I don't know when we'll stop. I don't want to stop. I mean, there are so many Monday nights where I'm tired, or I have to get up early on Tuesday, or you know, I've, and now I'm at a point in my life where I have two little kids, I have three different jobs. I so there's lots of like, but then when I get there. There's a few things that keep me really engaged with it. it. Mostly it's the crowd and the fact that it's always fun. There's always energy to feed off of. Um, there's always It's always different every for me every Monday night. And I get to hang out with my buddy, which I don't see. We don't really like kick it otherwise because we see each other once a week. Right. Um, and so it, I don't know when we'll stop. I, 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 would have, I would have never, ever, ever guessed I'd have thrown a party for 11 years. Mm-hmm. I'd have never, ever guessed I'd thrown a party for two years. Parties just don't last that long. Right. So now that it's been 11 years, could it be 20? Do I want? Yeah. I don't know. Clue. I mean, I think part of the impetus behind us starting our own radio show two and a half years ago was to like, okay, like maybe we'll stop DJing eventually, and we'll we'll, and we'll put that energy into digging through on this radio show, which is more about history and finding some rare tracks. It's a great like, show, man. Thanks. It's a very good. Um, it's a good show. We because you're entertaining too. It's a totally different. It's a totally different vibe. Where we're like, we want you to listen, like cook in your kitchen to this show. Right. We want you to like like vibe out at your house with some cocktails and your friends with this. Whereas Monday night, it's like everything needs to be a banger. Right. I need you to dance, and so the show is a whole different thing to do. Um, so that was kind of like maybe it'll evolve into that, and I have no idea. We're still doing that show. Um, we're actually in the middle of like searching for what we're going to do with it. I mean, it's fine right now, but we're trying to grow it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have no idea. I have no idea how long we'll do it. Yeah. Um, I really, I really dig it. I mean, I'm not. I would say like I'm not really a I'm not really a DJ. Like right. we're not matching. We're not beat matching. Like I have friends who are DJs. You know, my buddy Nick who does Boom Bap. Uh, my buddy Coach. Uh, Jeremy Todd like those dudes are like you know they're proper musicians when it comes to DJing like they're they're they they're pulling up different instrumental tracks and mixing them together live there we don't do any of that well um one this music doesn't really lend itself um easily to that um for me at least and uh two we're just more like hosts like I'm a song picker I'm not a, like the 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 way I transition the songs is super simple it's like there are some fancy ways to do it but mostly it's just keep you dancing keep the vibe good be good hosts make sure it feels good in there we're, we're you know we're worried about the lights the, the volume level like the 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 orchestration of the furniture like that's more of our forte yeah um, than actually DJing so and yeah, I, but that's imp- that's so important. It's like go- it's like going to a restaurant where people are like, we're ju- we're we're more focused on the atmosphere, the, this and this, and all that stuff makes the food taste good. That's right. The story and makes everything taste different. Right. right? Good I mean, food in a cold, weird environment isn't great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then you know, like so when I uh, I can't remember if I told you the story, but when I when I grew up, um, I had a, like a ranch and a house, brick ranch in a neighborhood, and at the end of the house was a bonus room. 
And in the room was um, like a, one of those giant L couches, you know, mm-hmm. and a pool table and the like, computer for yeah. the house, yeah. like the, the desktop everyone used. Um, this that's, before that's the laptops. room I grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> so you know the room, right? And there was a deck off that room. Um, so there were a couple key things is I had that room and the door locked on that room. Yeah. So I always hosted everyone. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, ever since like middle school, I was like, come over to my house. And my friends would all tell you, like, they all know this. So, like, uh, I, they would, so they, in middle school and high school, they would come over, and, like, my dad had the five-disc changer in there, and I would pick the five discs. I would shuffle them. I would, like, mess with the lights or the, you know, whatever. I was the one hosting. I loved it. Um, and as we got older, you know, people would come over, and I would be making people cocktails and drinks. And, like, I just, every time we met for Christmas at, back at, um, in Georgia, where I'm from, like, we'd all go to my house one night, right? And I think that that... Like just seeped into me, and, and like that hospitality thing. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I, I worked for I worked for years in like the bar and restaurant business and learned more about that. But like, I think somewhere that like hosting friends, providing the um, just the vibe for the night is something I really enjoy and I'm really inclined to. So I try to apply that to everything. So I mean, in an odd way, that actually works really well for for the for the dance party, obviously. But even for like all of the marketing and and like brand strategy stuff I've done during my you know daytime hours and even real estate like it's uh it's all the same skill set yeah uh, definitely so it's hosting making yeah. people feel good it's easy have fun <laughs> do your job well and make sure people are having a good time and that you know music's not too loud not too low lights not too bright not too dim that's it yeah that's awesome <laughs> who who do you remember who the DJ was that you you saw in New York that changed your perspective no, I don't remember his name. He was a friend of a friend, but I just remember like I I just hadn't never heard that music before. Right. I didn't and so I went and looked up um Gene Vincent and then that led me to like I didn't know any of that 50. I knew Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis and those kind of like obvious ones, but I didn't know any of the other stuff. And so, so, oh, and I just thought it was cool that you could go into this basement where he was DJing and it was like, it felt like a 50s sock hop, like people were dressed up. Um, So when that definitely seeped into my consciousness and then when we started Motown Monday it was like definitely an amalgamation of like the MJQ Britpop thing every week and that and just being like oh we can create a destination of like inside these walls for these four hours won't feel like anywhere else right and if you know it's like it's like dirty dancing or something like right. we want it to be like it's sweaty I mean the, the five spot you used to be able to smoke in there until two, oh, cool. 2000 like <laughs> 11 or something, which was awful. Yeah. But the thing it did do was like you'd roll in there on a summer night and it'd be like 95 degrees <laughs> in the bar. In the bar, really? they had also had a bad AC system at the, and it'd be smoky and everyone's sweating <laughs> and, and people were like, you know, it just it was just like a where the where am I? Right. You know, and so that I think that was a special part about yeah. it. The the I asked about the DJ thing because I remember. I mean, I think. <clears throat> For people of a particular age, and you and I are of a very similar particular age, like the internet in the last 10 years has made genrelessness uh, or like living outside of the confines of a genre much more of a real and possible thing, right? But I think like in the 2000s in particular, like it took getting out of your you know, your box a little bit in order to like know that there were other things available. And for me, living in New York was that mm, big thing. Yeah. Like I remember... 
I worked at a cafe, and this guy who lived upstairs at the cafe, was a, he, was a, he was a DJ, and he played largely electronic music, but he also played throwback stuff. And he, and his name was Jim Thompson, who was, who was Hans Orfis, who was the original drummer of Guar, right? And, <laughs> okay. but, but, but Jim, like, presented almost, like, and not in a nostalgic way. This is just, like, who he was. Like, he presented, like, Fonzie. Like, he would, like, walk into a place, just, just full denim, like, slick back hair or whatever, and people, and he was warm, and you were just, like, stoked that Jim was there. You were, like, so happy or whatever. And I remember it being, like, pretty, because I was in my early 20s, and it was, like, living in living in Maine or living in a, in a somewhat remote place from what is big in the rest of the country, um, I always felt like you had to sort of adhere to, to, to genre loyalty in a really big way. And then meeting a guy who was in Guar. That looked like a greaser. Who looked like a greaser, yeah. who was, like, playing throwback <laughs> tunes, who was, like, playing electronic. I was like, oh, like, this adherence is just shackles. Yeah. Like, this is fucking me. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? Isn't it weird? I like, yeah, you can, New York's a great place to learn that or unlearn that. Um, yeah, because, you know, I remember I used to work at 4th and B in the Lower East Side, and there was a, it was all glass windows on the corner. And I'd be working a day shift, and you'd see some dude walk by in, like, a giraffe suit and be like, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I remember that. Like, that's an actual thing. I, saw. I mean, like, you would just, that makes nothing sense. would, nothing would, like, you're in New York. Like, what? who knows what that dude's doing? I don't yeah. know. Like, Someone would walk by and assless chaps. Like, I don't, like, you just, you learn to, like, not, that's par for the course there. So I think it, you, you can kind of, um, I don't know about genrelessness, but you I, I, you can learn that, like, you know, you can kind of be, express yourself however you want and um, people will just kind of deal with it. Totally. Um, or, and, like, that you can be appealing, you know, you can be, a, you can be a kid or formerly a kid who is in punk bands and then go and run, run a night that, is assigned by others to be Motown. Motown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I ask you? I, the last time we talked, you mentioned this so casually in conversation because we were talking about a, another thing, and this sure. wasn't this interview. This was we we met in between, and you mentioned in passing, and I've since looked it up, but you mentioned in passing that you were involved. In, you were not involved in, but you were in a school that was that had a shooting oh yeah yeah. and i didn't i didn't i I guess i didn't know that because you probably don't walk around and talk about that over (laughs) there okay by the way but but i imagine can you just can you just say like what what that what that scene was and i I, the only reason i want to ask you questions about that is because we now are in a time where that feels like such a part of our social fabric but i imagine that when it happened it was not it wasn't no yeah, I don't. I don't mind talking about that at all. If you want to, if you want to go there. Yeah. Um, no, so I went to a high school in Conyers, Georgia. I went to a high school called Heritage High School, and um, a, a month to the day after Columbine, there was a shooting there. So I was a junior, I think, and it was the end of the school year. So it was um, May twentieth, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Because Columbine was April twentieth, right? Um, so anyway, yeah. If you remember. Their school shootings and public shootings were not a thing, except that year there were like six. Right. It was like a weird rash of like, what's going on? It was a very kind of a small version of what we've just been dealing with now as as norm. And Columbine was part of that. There were some other smaller ones, um, and it, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was. I was just. It was a Friday. I was um, in the in the uh, school earlier than I normally w- would have been. Actually, it's, it's weird because, like, so my, my circle of friends, 
most of them weren't there because on Fridays we would go to Chick-fil-A in the morning. <laughs> you know, we were like, we had car, we had just gotten our cars, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. So we would drive to Chick-fil-A and like have breakfast and like screw around and then go you know, get to class right at the bell. I uh, remember that seems so exciting when you're, when yeah, you, when you yeah, have a car and you, you have can your go own car. off school. Fuck yeah. You know? <laughs> I drive to the fast food place and hang out with your friends at 7.30 in the morning. Me, like, they're totally unrelated to the story. Uh, just took me back yeah, to that lovely time yeah, in right? high school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Freedom, baby. <laughs> But I couldn't that Friday because I had to turn in a photography assignment. Mm. And so I had to get it in for whatever reason before the bell. And so I went to school early and turned it in. And then I'm sitting in like, the, you know, the big old commons area in the middle of the school, the big giant room. I'm just sitting on a bench and I hear like two firecrackers like pop, pop. It's like, oh, and, and it's worth noting like this was the last day for seniors when there were usually pranks. Mm. Like, so I, so I got up, I turned around, I didn't see anything. Sounded like a firecracker. Didn't sound like a gun. Um, and and I thought it was probably a, like seniors messing around because it was the last day. So I just sat back down and with my back to the noise. So then I heard it again, like two more pop pops. And then, so then I stood up and I turn around and I look across the commons area and there's this kid who I knew because he was in my first period Spanish class. His name was TJ. And he's got a rifle at his hip mm. and he's shooting across the room into like where people were having breakfast and he's crying he's like pacing and crying it was so weird and it was like one of those um like very like cock action guns that's like very bb gun looking you know and so and it wasn't really loud and so he's firing i'll never forget this i was like what's going i thought he was like firing at someone like Mm -hmm. in a fight and and then, man, he lowered that thing and cocked it and just turned 90 degrees right, right at me yeah. and fired. And that was like the Columbine had just happened. So that was like the, oh, he's shooting everyone, right. not just, you know, and then, oh, my, and just like every, like pandemonium. Um, I remember I was sitting with two of my friends, Gina Corey and Jackie Ashford, and I grabbed both their arms. I think it was Jackie who like straight up froze, like like you'd see in a movie, like froze, could not move. And I like, had to basically push her with my body. And we start running towards the double, you know, there's like those banks of doors that lead out into the bus lanes in high schools. So we're all running, groups of people running. You're still hearing shots. Um, and we get out. One, This guy I knew was shot in the leg right next to me. He fell, like I saw, I watched him fall. Yeah. Um, it was a it was a school shooting that fortunately no one died in. Like yeah. He shot six people, um, and he shot a freshman well, girl who had who had really serious injuries and had to be life lighted. But because he was shooting from his hip and because I don't think he was aiming and he was crying, he shot a lot of people in the leg. Yeah. Fortunately, but anyway, yeah, it was insane, man. I mean, ran across the street in this neighborhood. We're start everyone's going up to random houses, banging on doors, trying to get adults out. Mm-hmm. You know, I realized my girlfriend at the time was in the bathroom, mm-hmm. and the gunshots weren't really loud. So of course I'm like, oh, she's gonna come out and like not know what's going on, and and like a dumbass, I just run back into the school. Yeah. So now I'm running back into the high school, and and it's only been I don't know a minute or two, but now I run in and there's kids laid out out front. That, you know, it's a it's a whole scene. Kids that have been wounded, and then but there's no like there's no sense of adults controlling anything. Like I was able to run right back into the school, and no one stopped me. Yeah. And run in the school and this time the school is completely empty can't see anything but he had a 357 magnum in his pants mm. so uh he's now got that but i can't see him but i can hear it, it sounds like a cannon down right. the hall and i turn down this hallway and this door opens and this kid i think his name was drew uh, morris clotheslined me mm. just like saw me get in the hall open the door straight clothesline me into the classroom 
Um, and I, I remember I was shaking so bad that he laid me on the ground and I had a watch on and the watch was just like banging the tile floor repeatedly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we were all in those rooms for, I don't know, 15 minutes or something. And then they came to the intercom and told us all to go to the football field. Right. Um, that kid did not die. Um, he was disarmed by the vice principal and then stood trial as an adult and I think, and was sentenced to like 40 something years in prison um, and just got out like two years ago. Yeah. Um, I didn't really, that's an interesting, is an interesting fact. I think that like anyone in this sort of like long list of school shooters, because I usually associate, they usually die or, or, or take their own lives. And I hadn't thought that any of these people were out. It's so, it's such a bizarre feeling because I mean, honestly, it doesn't. It's not something I think about a lot, but but now I'm thinking about it because you brought it up. Like he, he was 17. I don't know what I didn't know him well enough to know what his deal was. I know that he had a very serious high school romance that had fallen apart, and like he was just kind of a strange, quiet kid. Um, I know that his dad had a whole bunch of guns, like so many that TJ was able to sell some to some friends without his dad knowing, because yeah. he sold one to a friend of mine like a year before that for some. It's a whole other dumb story, yeah. but anyway. Uh, yeah, he got like the the book thrown at him because he's kind of, I mean, um, so again, lucky no one was killed, but he did hurt a lot of people. And, um, yeah, so he spent, I guess if he just got out, he was, and I were the same age. So he spent 20 years in jail. Right. Right. Um, The thing that you said that was so interesting to me that I remember. So I remember when Columbine happened, I, I taped with a VHS, I taped the whole day of CNN. Oh, really? Because I was like, oh, things are different. Like I knew I mean, that was, yeah. and I was like, cause I'd known I, there was, was like the Paducah one. There was like a handful of ones that happened on the, other, like on the lead up. And I think there might've been one or two earlier, smaller ones earlier that year. There was the big one. And the thing is, you just said that, that was, that resonated with me. And I think undid my entire ideas, ideology, approach to life, et cetera, was you said, you said it, it struck you when you went back into the school or whatever, that like no adults were in charge. No. Like, and that's what struck me with Columbine. I was like, oh, no one's in charge. Yeah. Like if someone decides to disrupt, there's nothing They took over an entire school, two people. Totally. And, you know. Totally. I mean, yeah. I, I was... I'm not downplaying my experience. It wasn't it wasn't great, but I was fortunate that like it wasn't that, you know. Yeah. It wasn't a massacre. Right. Um but it was here's what it did do to me. Um that I think has been a positive thing. Um and is you know, you you walk into a school one morning where you're supposed to be mm-hmm. um and someone shoots at you. Right. And I mean I definitely have the feeling of like running towards doors while someone is shooting at me, not right. knowing if I'm about to get hit. Um and so, like after that, it's just kind of like all bets are off. Like, I mean, I mean, of course you like I'm, I. I don't. I don't wake up every day with this like renewed sense of um, like you know you only get to live once kind of thing because of that. But it definitely affected. It definitely like played into like well, <laughs> what you know, you got to live your life. Like right. someone could walk into your school and just kill you totally. or your workplace or whatever. You could be at the fucking mall. I don't know. Yeah. But like that. That definitely. Um, underscored it was it was a little bit of like a um cauterizing kind of adult graduation like hey like nothing is yeah. nothing is really that stable yeah you know um, i with i with i within a within a year um had i was in some situation and, and these guys who i at this point believed were pretending to be undercover cops pulled a gun on me and it was scary right and then i hadn't processed it or anything and then the next year i took care of my father while he was dying for a year mm. and i think that those as like bookend experiences 
I love those. Ex- I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't wish yeah, them yeah, upon yeah, people. Right. But I. I love those experiences because I know so many people who know, who know in theory that it could end at any time, and they try to conduct their life like that, but they haven't done the work yet. Right. And you can't do the work unless it's either hoisted upon you, or yeah. you you decide to put everything aside and engage in a row. It's. I mean. Yeah, that's a right, that's a really good way to put it. You can't do the work unless it's you go through something. I mean, I mean, yeah, classic story, right? Someone gets cancer, beats cancer, after cancer is like I'm going to live my life the right. way I always wanted to. Right. And so the the moral is live your life the way you always want to without cancer. Right. Um it's easier said than done. Oh god, yeah, totally. And so Totally. So I have a bit of that. It's more like a, it's more like a seasoning on my life. You know, I mean, you can't just, I can't just wake up every day and be like, today's the last day, maybe. So I'm gonna, you know, I mean, I, I, I plan for the. You to take that realtor's license. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, closing a house takes thirty days. So, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's it's. I I have a family and I have like goals and I think about the future and I plan and you know I have retirement accounts and like I, but, I I I do think about it. I don't think about the shooting a lot, but just like my my outlook on life. Like I I do think like if not today could be the last day, like I'm only going to be older tomorrow. Right. You know, like it only is going to be harder later. I might as well enjoy I'm like do I, I you know, there's a mixture and a balance to everything for me and there's a balance of living in the moment, enjoying everything, taking it all in and also thinking about what those moments might be like in five years and helping plan for those. Right. One part of it is like, I don't think, I think a lot of times people get confused and they think that it means that it's like pandemonium and anarchy in your life all the time. And sometimes it just means like, just enjoy being in traffic. Like just don't take it personally, you know, like (laughs) do something with that time. It's, (laughs) it's something that I am, um, uh, I work at all the time, but yeah, if you can just be present, even when you don't want to be, like, traffic's a sure. great example. Um, you can kind of enjoy your life as it as it moves by you. That's one thing the kids the kids have done for me too. Is like that's very stereotypical. Is time starts moving real fast. Yeah, just because you're busy and you're watching them. Like I, there's some something about it. I don't know. There's something about the biology of it is man. It starts moving really fast. Like right. all of a sudden you're just like, whoa, my kid's gonna be six years old. What? I remember I brought him home from the hospital yesterday. Like it's, and so then you, there's a, there's a, um, and also having another generation below you, there's some kind of like mortality check on it. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be dead soon. Right. <laughs> like well, because their growth looks like faster growth, right? Because yeah, totally. Because they, and you're watching so like, much happens. Yeah, I think it's that. And I also, I can remember being five. Yeah. That's yeah, where my yeah. memories kind of start. Yeah. So I'm looking at my oldest son, Henry, and I'm like, I remember what you're experiencing right now. You're in kindergarten. I remember that. So I'm like, you, so there's some kind of relationship with it where, you're, where, at least for me, where I've been like, oh, I remember when my dad turned 40. I thought he was so old yeah. because I was, you know, 10 or something. And I'm like, I'm just a couple of years from that. And that's not old. And now I don't even think like 70s old. Like I'm, because I'm getting, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, I'm, it's accelerating faster and faster, and then there's there's so much um, that I'm enjoying and grateful for, and all and all those things. But it's like there's a there's a bit of like a don't blink. Right. Well, um, I'm constantly doing the math that I think starts to happen around thirty. I could be wrong, but I'm constantly like, and I and I can pull out, I can pull it out of, I can see the pattern in every sort of like pop culture relation to time, right? So it's like, it's like the so for example, like this is the one that comes into my head. The distance between now and Weezer's Blue Album is the distance between <laughs> Weezer's Blue Album and Woodstock. 
<laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I do that. I don't know what is wrong with my brain, but I see that all the time. And it's very helpful oh. in making me realizing how making me realize how yeah. quickly time is going. Yeah, no, I do that a little bit. Like that's a good one. I mean, I'll think about like the Beatles were a band for three less years than I've been running this party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and what, what did they do really right, what did they do i mean oh you can think of like i do think about that um really in terms of that party all the time i'll be like okay especially when we cross 10 years i'm like think about what happened between 1965 and 1975 like culturally yeah sure, like yeah, all yeah. of that all of that everything there that's how long you've been standing up here with these computers absolutely and these people, like it's like it's yeah it's so good um yeah it's funny I, I do that as well. Oh, man. All right, man. I think that that was a better conversation than the first conversation. <laughs> Good. I, I, I just <laughs> screw that first conversation. Yeah, it never happened. Yeah, yeah, never ha- I don't remember it at all. Awesome. Thank you so <laughs> yeah, much, man. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Nashville Demystified. Uh, I am your host, Alex Steed. Thank you, Jacob, for being on the show. You can find him all over the place. If you're looking for a house, he's interested in selling you one. (laughs) Or if you're looking to dance, uh, go to the five spot on Mondays. I really appreciated that conversation. It was a a lot of fun to have. Thank you so much to Jesse LaFontaine for producing the show. He's responsible for all things audio post-production. Find us on social media, like I said, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter, etc. We're in all of the places. Uh, please listen to the back episodes if you have not. And uh, yeah, I think that's all I've got for you. I look forward to talking with you next week. So long, everybody. Mm-hmm.